And welcome to the Signature Leadership Series podcast by Knowledge Hook, a podcast where we explore the topics most relevant to senior education leaders from around the world. I'm your host, Jennifer Adams. I'm a former superintendent of a large, highly diverse, publicly funded school district in Ottawa, Canada. I was fortunate throughout my career to have many great opportunities for professional learning, and I'd like to extend that opportunity to you. Working together with KnowledgeHook, a Canadian digital math company, we are continuing to support thought leadership in education. Today's show is an opportunity to hear directly from an employer about the skills our students will need to be successful in the workplace. Christine Greco has worked in HR in many large companies, Samsung, Tim Hortons, Molson Coors, and General Electric. She is currently the Vice President of HR for Harlequin North America. Christine provides us with a bird's eye view of the workplace today. Not only are employers looking for a broader set of skills when recruiting, but they're also focusing on helping their employees continue to develop those skills throughout their careers. This is a great chance for us as educators to hear an employer's perspective and to think about potential collaboration in the future. Christine, welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be here. Christine, I had an opportunity to meet you, but uh, many of the listeners won't know too much about you. So tell us a little bit about the role of uh, a VP of HR in a huge company like yours. Yeah, um, well, uh, it's, uh, you know, lately it's been a lot of uh, all kinds of things. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, in the space of human resources as senior leader, um, you know, a lot of my work now and in the past has been around um, the HR strategy and marrying it with the business strategy. Um, clearly, always a focus on culture of an organization um, with emphasis on talent, you know, so people, the employee experience, um, as well as marrying things like um, innovation, wellness, um, which is really important right now for people on so many levels. Um, and I would say diversity and inclusion. Um, and so marrying all that together to help the business uh, deliver results. It's incredible as you're as you were talking about that. I think all of us in 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 education, we certainly um, function in all of those groups. And of course, those of us that are in larger systems have an opportunity to have an HR department. And you know, we we turn to that department for so many things. And I think over the years, the breadth of the role of HR has really expanded. So you know, we used to think of recruiting and hiring and contracts and you know all that the 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 employee process of bringing people on and looking after benefits, but it really has branched out into those areas of well-being, uh, equity and diversity, um, uh, organizational culture, social impact, all of those things are now uh, in the hands of of, uh, professionals like yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. If I look over my career of almost 30 years, um, you know, the profession really was more segmented, as you've said. And um, I would say over the last 10 years in particular, um, you know, uh, there's a blurring between um, there's always been a blurring, I think, between sort of professional and personal life, but also a blurring of what's going on in the realities of the world. Um, you know, employees are concerned about sustainability and the environment and equity and all of these things now come into 
um, into the workplace, uh, the diversity of the workplace, the number of generations that work together, um, the uh, you know, and does your does your workplace look like your community? And and as you add more and more diversity, um, there's more complexity with that. And it's interesting and uh, it's powerful and it's exciting, um, but it's it's complicated. Such a, a great reflection of what we're doing in school systems as well. All of the topics that you've just talked about, we're dealing with all of those things, not only with our employees, but of course, with our with our students and their families as well. Let's switch over to um, a, a talk about skills. And, you know, what are the skills that when your companies are doing hiring, what are the kinds of skills that they're looking for, or even the, the kind of the buckets of skills that they're looking for when, when, when you're recruiting? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've given this one a little bit of thought, and, and I actually came up with four buckets. So I was kind of happy and proud of myself here. So, um, and when I look at future in particular, right, so students and as they think about future, um, the, the overarching thing that we're looking for is what we would call sort of um, a shifting in skills to sort of uniquely human skills. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, uh, yes, you need well-skilled people, um, but the buckets of um, technology and data, that is a must, right? We need people who have agility in technology, data literacy, and information literacy. Um, married, though, at the same time with almost uh, self-awareness skills and, and the human skills of, um, you know, it, you need to be a lifelong learner. You, there is emotional intelligence skills, listening, resilience, adaptability, um, dealing with ambiguity. And just the recognition of constant change and how you're part of that. Um, along with that, there's then how do you take what you know about you and building your skills and working with others? So it's communication, collaboration, and intercultural effectiveness, right? We're all learning to work with each other. And then you got to take all of that and you then have to. Um, have still have critical analytical skills, and you still have to have an innovation mindset and a bias for action. Because at the end of the day, when we employ people, there is a results that's required. So there's still that drive for results. It's so helpful to hear that, Christine, from you, that summary of those different buckets, because, of course, in the education system, we're trying to provide that information to, to students and to their parents. Every parent wants their child to be prepared to go out into the workforce. And, you know, we do a lot of work with our teachers to really help them explore what are those buckets and how can they contribute? How can they develop those skills themselves? And how can they help? You know, what's the kind of pedagogy? What are the kinds of interdisciplinary tasks that we need to be doing with students so that they will develop those those that really fulsome set of skills? Yeah, it's uh, it's well, I think, you know, and I do think, um, you know, I think that's important to, to say that it's uh, I think that skill building is a shared responsibility <laughs> with everyone. Right. So. Um, and I'm not in the world of education, 
But as a parent, um, uh, I would say absolutely that there is a role for, you know, the academic setting and the teacher, as well as the student, as well as, as the parent. And then, you know, broadening that to how do you include community and, and business, not for profit and for profit. I think that's a real opportunity that we have now. And, you know, potentially the pandemic has actually helped with that opportunity because, of course, so many parents have been put into the position of having to support their children in their learning. And, you know, it's it's obviously they're doing it while they're still working if they're working from home or they're having to go out to work if they're in the essential services and and trying to manage somehow and, and support their their children as they go through the learning process. The one thing that I think is really exciting, and this was pre-pandemic, was I think that there was a real coming together as far as what educators and, and research was saying as far as what are the skills that children need to be developing throughout their K-12 and their post-secondary education and what the business community was saying, these are the skills that we're seeing, a broader set of skills that are really required to be successful in the workplace. And that has potential. I'm not sure if we've harnessed the potential of working together yet, <laughs> but at least being able to communicate that it's a, we, we agree there's agreement on those are the skills that need to be developed. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and honestly, I think we're all learning them even as professional working people, um, how, how much they've been amped up during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've always um, had an appreciation that, uh, that leadership and listening and communication and um, collaboration have been important, but it's just, it's been elevated so much higher um, as we're we're working in, some of us are completely remote. Some of us are still going in, and then we're working with each other. Um, and our children are learning it. They're absolutely learning it. Um, and I see that firsthand. Um, and so it's um it's it's sort of a new day. And I think there's there's some other learning that's occurring, which is there's um there's patience. There is um. Um, almost a, we're all in this together. So, um, how do you, uh, how do you bring along someone you see who might be struggling, right? So there's that inclusiveness, that empathy, um, which are so fundamental, um, skills for high performing teams, for organizations that are wildly successful and for inclusion and respect, and so we're learning to do that because we're kind of all muddling through this together. But the, those skills, and even though it, this might be a difficult time for people, learning those skills, I think, is a silver lining in some ways. Absolutely. And, you know, when I think of um, some of what you were talking about is moving from the individual to the collective and moving from that people doing things on their own to working in collaborative teams. And, and I think that shift had started to happen certainly pre-pandemic. And one of the things that we saw in schools, for example, as an illustration of that, you know, 40 years ago, you'd see, you know, you'd walk into a classroom and you'd see individual desks, uh, you know, lined up. And over the last 
20, 25 years, there's been a huge move to, you know, big tables in rooms and kids working collaboratively and then working on technology and sharing that, et cetera. So some of that going from the individual to the collective and certainly with what we've seen with the pandemic and with the, you know, division in politics and and uh, racial uh, tensions, et cetera, there's even more of a pronounced need to be able to work in the collective, but to be doing it without the advantage of necessarily being actually physically together. So it's not just the shift from individual collective, but now it's how do you do collective when you actually physically can't be together? And we know in the business community that that's going to take place. That will remain the case for a long period of time, even post-pandemic. Absolutely. That is that is actually a lot of the work a lot of us are doing um, is trying to figure out in a post-pandemic world, what does the office of the future look like or what does work look like in the future? Um, because we do believe that there'll be a variety of different working styles. Some people will remain remote. Some people will come in. Um, there will always be some people, though, that their work is tied to a location. And then you have the mix of all of that going on. Right now, you're either kind of all in or you're all out. Um, and so that levels the playing field in some ways. But when you add the dynamic um, of these different work styles over a period of time, um, we're going to constantly have to iterate on, on those skills. And they will be the uniquely human skills that we're iterating on. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's so important, right? Um, but you're right. It is, um, we're individual, collective, and collective and individual all at the same time. Give us an example, um, Christine, of, you know, I can only imagine, like you say, in some ways, it's almost easier now because it's kind of an either or. But eventually you're moving into a situation where it, it will probably never go back to everybody in an office at a desk uh, together. How are you in a big corporation like yours putting together the parameters of like who will decide? Is it is it the employer that decides? Is it the employee that decides? Is it the the leader of the team? Will there be flexibility? Or just some of the conversations? I mean, I know you haven't worked everything out, but even some of the the considerations as as you try to flesh that out for your employees. It, it's a it's an interesting situation. We are actually working on it now. And um, if you had asked me this three weeks ago, I think I would um, be a little bit flat footed, but. Um, we actually have started to make some decisions. And so this is how we're doing this, not necessarily how every other company is going to do it, but we're actually borrowing. So we're borrowing from a, a different discipline. Um, we're borrowing from the marketing world where they create personas um, when they target market. So in human resources, we're looking at the personas and we're, we're trying to see and define by groups of jobs um, why do you come in? What's the purpose of coming in? What's the work that needs to be done in the office versus maybe heads down work that could be done at home? So we've actually developed a matrix. We've actually got personas identified. We have definitions. Um, and some of it's based on as well as are you more of an individual worker or do you need to work a lot with teams? And then um, it, it literally is a, a matrix. And on the other side of that matrix is the question of how dependent are you 
that your work is done in the office or certain kinds of technology or or not. And so along it with those personas, we'll be able to kind of map out roughly by groups of employees, how many days you really need to be in the office and how many you don't. Now, we would like to be able to weave in some personal choice in that. Um, but that's our starting place is, uh, is to actually do this by groups of people and how they work and what they work on. Fascinating, Christine. And I'm sure there's a, a ton of educators out there and senior administrators that are thinking would love to see those matrices at some time, at some point in time. And, you know, I think that's as, as the world merges into this new world, some of those, uh, that ability to be able to share some of that information and how different companies and how different um, sectors are doing. And I think it'll be really helpful in the future. Let's shift over a little bit to, um, your company and, and and companies in general, we know that skills develop over a, a period of time. And the, and the good thing, certainly with social emotional skills, we know, and you talked a lot about, you know, knowing yourself and, and developing skills on how to work with others. We know that those skills start off with very young children and they continue to develop well into mid adulthood. And, and so what's different with companies now, as far as skill development compared to what it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, just to give our, our educators a sense of what will their students be doing and, and how will they be supported on continuing to develop those skills once they're working in companies like yours? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, some things absolutely have morphed and changed. I mean, in, in, in the world of work, the best learning, the best training is always on the job. Um, and it's in the work. So, you know, wherever you can give people what we call stretch assignments, project work, committee or task force kind of assignments, and you take them out of their comfort zone um, and you, you give them an opportunity to test their knowledge and their learning in a safe way, that is probably the best development an organization can give an employee. Absolutely, training is important in attending seminars and formal conferences, um, but it's predominantly in the job and in the work. The, I think the biggest thing, though, is the mindset, mind, the mindset shift. So um, organizations are, are often about success and failure, and um, we need to be able to create an environment where people are continuously learning safely. And what I mean by that is that risk taking and that failure is okay, <laughs> um, because that's also where you learn. You actually learn from the mistakes, um, and then you apply. And and for sure, the education system is very supportive of letting more experiential hands on. The work world not always so much because we sometimes get real focused on delivery of results. So if you make a mistake, that has an impact on results. And so it's learning to balance that a little bit um, and, and, and saying it's okay um, to fail. It's, and, you know, in technology, they call it fail fast and then, you know, uh, and accelerate. And so that's one of the biggest things. So it's around, um, it's around that creating that environment for people to, to do that. It's okay to make an error because that's how you're going to learn. That's the biggest shift that I have seen as it relates to what organizations are doing to fully support employees as they continue to grow and develop. 
It's so interesting what you're saying, Christine, because like you like you said, in education, we've we've done some of those shifts. So we're trying to do those shifts where you have um, students that are involved in project work and and interdisciplinary work and they're working in groups and and you're pushing them to to try things that they haven't tried before. And, you know, to hear that that's what you're trying to do in the workplace as well is really supportive of our teachers and encouraging our teachers to to do that kind of work with students. The other thing that you mentioned is that whole concept of failure. And, you you know, you don't have to go back very far where it was very black and white. Uh, You either passed or you failed. And that was the end of it. And it was, you know, you that were passing and failing. And and now there's more of of a responsibility on our behalf is that somehow the child is not or the student is not acquiring the the knowledge and skills that they need to. So what can we do differently? And really understanding that we've got students that are coming from really varied backgrounds that some will need more support than others. And it sounds like you're doing some of that kind of thinking with your senior leaders. How do you have them support their employees, understand that there's going to be some bumps along the way and some are going to need more support than others? That's right. No, um, it's it's a lot of dialogue with leadership and with managers um, to identify, you know, where success has happened and where there's a gap and to to problem solve the gap rather just than make assumptions. So I think, you know, in the past, we would just simply make assumptions and say, well, the person doesn't have the skills or they aren't a fit. You know, in, in the old days, we used the word fit. Um, and that's not appropriate anymore. Um, we actually have to look really hard at our systems, our processes, our technology, our onboarding, our, um, our mentoring and buddy systems, um, our communications, right? So um, communication um, and across generations, uh, it, it, it gets different and, um, and you have to adjust. And so it's the constant learning to pivot and adjust um, and looking for the opportunity to make it work, not to find where it fails. Wonderful. And that's, that's a really big piece for us. Yeah. Tell me, you mentioned uh, the work in, in equity and inclusion. And of course, you, you know, we have to do a better job at that in education. And, and we're really trying to learn um, both on a, a personal and professional level, how do each one of us contribute to creating that environment, but also on a systemic level to make sure that there's not barriers uh, for uh, different groups of students and their families. And how do we how do we bring down those barriers? And I imagine it sounds like you're doing a lot of that talking in in uh, business as well. Yeah, we are. I mean, you know, I think most businesses would say that it's a journey, and this is going to be a very long journey in the diversity and equity and inclusion space, um, and underscoring belonging, which is, I think, the other component of all of that. And you can't do can't do inclusion without doing diversity and you can't do either without looking at your systemic structures, programs, policies um, to ensure the equity components. A lot of what we're doing in this space is we we actually started by listening to our employees more. Um, We spent a lot of time uh, this past summer, um, you know, uh, creating safe spaces for employees to come together. Um, for other employees to understand how to be an ally, um, how to how to check in, how to be appropriate, how to own your own 
your own um, your own education. So for a lot of us, um, we have a responsibility for our own self development and our awareness on DNI. Um, so yeah, it starts with the person, right? Um, now we've also done a lot around setting the tone around anti-racism and allyship, and we've done very formal training, um, and we're very proud of that. Um, and we've gone now even further to do focus groups, um, uh, where people who have self-identified by certain communities are now confidentially sharing what the work experience is, and we're creating um, we're creating programs out of that. So really amping up mentorship and sponsorship. Sponsorship is huge to be able to remove barriers and open doors. Um, and like many companies, we've well, we've done a huge revamp on our recruiting process, um, double checking, triple checking for bias. I mean, that's one of our, um, you know, it, it's one of our, our things that we're really paying attention. It, um, and in the work, so in, in we're kind of unique in publishing we publish own voices, all voices. Right. And so there's a lot of rigor in that process around getting it right, that it represents the voice um, of the author and it represents the community it's talking about. And so that's wildly important to us. Um, but it's a long, it's a long journey, Jennifer. Um, but those are some of the things we're starting to do. I think that's one of the things that's that's humbling. You know, we um you know, we see what's happening south of the border and um, it's easy to say that's south of the border, but we know uh, in the education system, we have a lot of work to do for our uh, Indigenous students and their families, for our Black students and their families, for lots of different groups to really celebrate their strengths and to learn from their strengths and to really help where there's some gaps that need to be filled. So uh, I think we're all in that uh, together truly and trying to, trying to do better work uh, in the education system and it certainly sounds like you're trying to do that in the business uh, world as, as well you mentioned something about i'm just curious you mentioned um, um mentorship versus sponsorship tell me the difference between those two well um how we have viewed this is um and and you know this is not our thinking alone we've reached out to get outside viewpoints and people who work in diversity equity and inclusion for additional insight um, it, mentorship is working closely with an individual, finding um, whether they find the pairing or helping them find a pairing with someone else to really grow their skills, grow their network, grow their confidence. Um, it can be very um, skill orientated. It can be relationship orientated. It can be on a number of spectrums. Sponsorship is that next level. Sponsorship is that senior voice in the room that is almost prompting other senior leaders to say, what's taking so long for that individual to be promoted? What is taking us like what, like a champion, like amplifying um, this, amplifying that person, not just a cheerleader, but amplifying and, and removing the barriers to ensure that individuals are promoted up, are welcomed in, are part of the larger processes um, to be included. And so um, it's a it's a heavier lifting job uh, with a with an outcome um, for people's promotion and progression. Mentorship 
um, is the much more developing skills and confidence and, and skill building. Since you've been doing this sponsorship piece, have you, what are the outcomes? Are you seeing any benefits? Are you, are you seeing results with that, with that approach? Well, we're, we're early days. It's early days. Um, we have a couple examples though, from our past and we know it works. So um, where people took um, real effort to understand the not only the development plan but the career progression plan, and we can we can we can actually see individuals in an organization who had those sponsors, those people that you know in a meeting would say, "Well, what about so and so? They're incredible. They have these skills, right?" And so to be able to really elevate, and so we have some previous examples, and so we're we're pulling a page from that. We're just adjusting it and being really thoughtful on where we actually start to push and move things forward a little faster than maybe we would have in the past. It'll be really interesting to see a, a couple of years out, you know, do you hit some of those benchmarks that you're hoping to do based on that type of very targeted approach, really zeroing in on what would it take to be able to bring down some barriers for that particular individual and and be able to have the supports in place to, to be able to have them moving up in the company like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will we will be measuring it. Fingers crossed, it works. Um, and, and it's you know again, it is it's um, it is a little bit of new for us in some ways, but there there is an onus on us, especially in leadership roles, to start to make this happen. Otherwise, this all just becomes rhetoric. Exactly. Exactly. I think everyone is looking for action and 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 results to be able to say that there is a change in in the workplace. Let's switch over to, um, you know, we've talked about the, the, the commonality of skills. We can do a better job as far as business and K-12 working together. Are there some things that, Christine, you thought of? I mean, I, I have to admit, I, I feel very privileged in that in my background, I, you know, was in a, a leadership role with a school district. And now the work that I'm doing now, I have an opportunity to be doing some thought leadership around, um, you know, for senior education leaders, as far as what can we be doing better? And, and one of the things that I'm hearing is they love the access, access to the business leaders. What can we be doing better? Yeah. I, you know, uh, I thought about this question cause it's a, it's a tough one for me too, right? Cause I've operated kind of in my world. I think wherever we can form networks, wherever we can share, wherever we can learn, and sometimes learning comes from the the off the wall kind of situations, right? That you didn't always fully plan. But I think um, I think if we can figure out how to get educators and and whether they're for profit or not for profit and community together. Um, we'll get a better outcome ultimately for students and student learning, right? Um, I think wherever um, wherever there's an opportunity for a student to get a glimpse into the work world, right? Get a glimpse into careers, whether that's co-ops or interns or um, being part of a community project. Um, and projects often operate pretty similarly to how they do in business. Any of those things are a way that I think that we can kind of come together um, for the betterment of, of students and for and, and to help students as they 
grow through um, their academic life and then eventually get to their work life. It's really exciting. You know, part of it is skill development and part of it is motivation. There's nothing more encouraging and and, um, motivating for students is when they actually see what what the real world looks like and they get to apply their skills and they get to learn their skills in those different environments that are not strictly a classroom environment, but actually, um, you know, in the workplace. And I'm actually wondering, you know, when you think of what we have gone through over the last nine months, you know, the, the ability to communicate and to function in teams, we should be able to do better than what we've done before, right? There should be more possibility of being able to have students integrate into some teams that are working on different projects in the in the workplace. They don't have to physically go there. They can be uh, attending. They don't have to miss half a day of school to do it. They attended a particular time and are involved. And so those are some of the things I've kind of been thinking, you know, now that we've had this experience, we can probably, there's some things that we can do moving forward. Yeah, I think it would be phenomenal, right? I mean, and I'm sure, and, you know, whether it's in like science and maybe, you know, they they have a 20 minute conversation with a team of scientists that have just done some really amazing work or, um, you know, for, um, you know, even, even just so, you know, we're going to plug my own industry, but, you know, just literature and reading and, you know, how can you, um, maybe, you know, authors pop in on classrooms, um, you know, for, with books, whatever it is. I think that there's, there is a way to be able to access things uh, in, because it's virtual. Um, and it doesn't have to be, um, as I said, it could be these off the wall, they could be small vignettes of time. Um, and it, it adds to, I think, the excitement and the learning that goes beyond the classroom for kids. I think that would be phenomenal. And I think business community, um, I think there's a way of doing it. I really do. It has to be a it has to be a win win uh, for both the the business side and the education side and um, you know certainly we would benefit so much with having more access to like you said short amounts of time so that people in the business world aren't having to you know right. leave the business place they're they're coming in and they're popping in for a twenty minute time. I'm thinking of almost the other way where um, if you have a team within your editing group that meets around, uh, you know, diversity or something, and you have a team that meets, and would you want a student to be on that team for a period of time where they can be giving their students perspective and they're, they're part of that team for, you know, a, a two month period or and, and that the business actually gets something out of having those students there. It's not just that the student has a wonderful opportunity, but the business gets something by having that student voice there. Oh, absolutely. I could definitely see that, especially in our industry. I mean, um, you know, to get real feedback from uh, kids on stories, right? I mean, that's like uh, market research practically. Um, to have voices, especially maybe high school voices, as it relates to diversity and inclusion, um, to get feedback on um, what they think about um, what they think about roles and 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 work, right? And to get that feedback and that insight as HR professionals, because um, that's the next you know cohort of people that are going to come and work for us. Um, what are the, what interests them? What what are their values? Um, it it definitely all those are all insights but they're all ways to contribute to what we do as organizations. 
Absolutely. It'll, you know, the, the potential is incredible and it will be interesting to see if we can kind of walk down the paths of some of those things to put them into place um, and have more of a, I always thought within, within Canada, we don't have as many um, structures in place to have that happen. We have ad hoc situations where we've got local companies that work with our local high schools and, and elementary schools, but there, there's another piece there that I think is, is a real potential and uh, it would be fun to be working on some of those things. Christine, any, any final comments to, um, senior educators that would be listening to this. So it could be a, you know, a superintendent or a director of education that's, you know, overall responsible. It could be a principal. It could be a school teacher. What, what would you, advice would you give to them as far as how do we do a better job of preparing students to be ready for that workplace? Any, any kind of final comments? No, I think, um, just sort of reiterating a few things. I, I mean, the world is moving fast um, and it, it gets faster all the time. And we have seen a tremendous amount of change in a short period of time with work and how we're working. Um, and um, with that as the backdrop and so much of um, the outside world, you know, whether it's social injustice, environment, sustainability, diversity and inclusion, mental health, all of these things are um, pervasive, whether you are a small child to a you know 102 year old person, um, and they all end up in the workplace. By the way, um, so it's around that continuous preparing students um, for this lifelong learning journey. It's not going to stop. It doesn't stop once they write their final exam and they get their first job it carries on. And that curiosity um, to continue learning, that desire to try things, it's okay if you make a mistake, and the confidence to get past that. Um, and then these human, uniquely human skills of connectivity, self-awareness, uh, collaboration, um, empathy, are all really going to be important. And, and we can't underscore that enough because we're going to have lots more technology. A lot of jobs are going to continue to change, but fundamentally there's always going to be a human component of decision-making judgment that only the human can make. And so if you have that really solid base of good, you know, skills, we will continue to evolve and change um, in, in our work and our students um, who, who come to us in the future with those skills will be able to take us even further. Thanks to Christine for joining our podcast today and for sharing her insights into the world of work. As educators, we have much to learn from Christine and her colleagues in the business sector. If you like this podcast, you may be interested in another opportunity to hear from Christine. On a recent roundtable, Christine joined us as a panelist alongside a CEO in a technology company and an executive director at a not-for-profit to discuss social-emotional learning in the workplace. This roundtable is available on the Knowledge Hook Signature Leadership Series portal. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.